On today's episode, we're going to talk about how you need to launch quickly, focusing on your strengths and beer. Let's go! This is the Blind Entrepreneur Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs and business professionals execute their vision by guiding them to profitability. Today, we have Dan Norris. Dan is a serial entrepreneur, award-winning content marketer, international speaker, and the author of four number one Amazon best-selling books, business books. In, two, in June 2013, after failing in entrepreneurship for seven years, he founded WPCurve.com, a worldwide team of WordPress developers providing unlimited small fixes and support 24-7 for a low monthly fee. After, after becoming profitable in 23 days, which is insane, uh, WP Curve grew to a team of 40 and 850 plus customers and passed an annual run rate of over 1 million Australian dollars. Uh, within, two years, uh, within two years and a year later, he was sold to GoDaddy. With over 65,000 copies sold, two of them including myself, <laughs> Owner of both the books, uh, two of the books at least, Dan's books have been translated into 13 languages and inspired thousands of people around the world to launch their businesses, with uh, resulting in six and seven figure businesses. Dan is also the co-founder of Black Hops Brewing, a craft brewery located on the Gold Coast of Australia. In 2015, Black Hops brewed the world's first beer for the biggest entertainment franchise on earth, Call of Duty. Dan. Thank you so much for your time, my friend. It was a long-winded uh, bio, but it was uh, well-served for your accomplishments. So again, thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was a, that was a mouthful. You did well. Yeah, thanks. Um, so before, I, if you're new to the podcast and a fan of Dan's, I welcome you guys. Uh, we start the podcast a little uh, in a fun, creative fashion. So uh, I'm going to ask you an icebreaker. So are you ready, Dan? Okay, depends what it is. All right. So imagine you just had the absolute best day of your life. Where are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? Because you're a beer guy. And and <laughs> what are you going to eat to make the day complete? <laughs> like after, at the end of the day? At the end of the day, you had the best day of your life. You got to celebrate in some okay. capacity. Well, obviously, I drink a Black Ops beer. That goes without saying. Um, but that that could be the start of the day as well and throughout the day. Um, but still would have to be, it would have to be at the end of the day too. Where would I eat? Uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, we got lots of good restaurants and stuff around here. I'd probably fly somewhere. Cool. I'll probably fly to Melbourne and eat at like one of those stupidly expensive restaurants that you end up spending like 600 bucks nice. and eating like really small plates of food, nice. but it's worth doing once or twice. I'd probably do that. Very cool. Well, great answer. So Dan, without further ado, the floor is yours. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself to those of you, of those people who don't know you, who are you and what is your story? Yeah, well, I think uh, based on what you've said already, that's all pretty accurate. Before I started WP Curve, I'd um, worked in an agency, uh, my, sorry, my own agency for about seven years and really just didn't have any success with that at all. So I just, I started as an entrepreneur pretty young. I think I was 26 and worked for the next seven or eight years, just not making it work. It was pretty much failure after failure. And I think that failure kind of created an interesting story for when things started going well. And at every step of the process, I've written about it and, you know, written books and blog posts and done podcasts and done talks around the place and sort of just been telling my story and 
it started to get pretty interesting lately after selling a business to GoDaddy and then starting this brewery, which is now expanding and um, doing really well. So, yeah, that's that's pretty you pretty much nailed it. That's pretty much me. Very cool. And and so um, when it comes to WP Curve, if you if you can just tell us a little bit about the business model. Tell us a little bit about how it helped people. Yeah, well, it was just a, it was one of those things because I've been failing at the agency for so long. I was looking for a way to do like that kind of work. You know, I had lots of people in my audience who are reading my content who had WordPress sites who needed them fixed, but I didn't want to do an agency and I didn't want to build sites and I didn't want to support sites, but I wanted to do it in a way where it would just be a sort of a no brainer thing. So I um, just decided to do this idea of unlimited fixes, unlimited monthly fixes and limit them to 30 minutes per job. So they're just small things. We're not building new functionality or building new sites or anything like that. Just fixing bugs and keeping sites secure keeping them backed up and updated, that kind of stuff, updating WordPress, all of those little things you need to do with WordPress. And um, yeah, it just seemed to strike a chord with people. There was a lot of people in my audience initially who wanted that service and it was 70 bucks a month, I think at the time. So a lot of people jumped on it. And then with the content and with the word of mouth and the branding and the story, it just kind of spread and eventually, um, yeah, eventually became a million dollar uh, US dollar company and, and then sold it a couple of years later. So you, you were in the agency world where it's very like personal relationship and then obviously WP curve is relatively not as uh, relationship building. It's very transactional. You go yeah. on a website, you buy. Um, yeah. What was the inspiration behind that? Why did you decide to pivot from relationship to completely online? Because I didn't like the relationship part of it. I thought it was just stupidly inefficient and I, and I thought the customers that it attracted were customers that just didn't know what they were doing and it, there was so much inefficiency it just it really pissed me off in that world it was really frustrating it wasn't it wasn't tied to my skills like I just I, I just wanted people who knew what they wanted to send me what they wanted to do and then I would do it and then it'd just be nice and simple but with the agency stuff you'd have to have a phone call with someone you'd have to go down and have a meeting with someone you'd have to try and convince them that it might be a good idea for them to have a I CMS on their website so they can update it themselves. And it was just, it was just frustrating. And I was, and what I was doing was no different to all the 50,000 other agencies out there competing for all of these small local customers. So it was just, it wasn't a good business. It wasn't a good model. And um, I wanted something more, more scalable, ultimately something that I could build a team around, not a local team because that just puts prices up so high. I had a couple of developers in the Philippines and I wanted to build that team out more and build a service where um, I could utilize developers around the world and work remotely and just move away from the whole local uh, agency office type idea altogether. Were there a lot of uh, pains uh, in the beginning of finding those those types of people? Obviously, there could be a language barrier um, you know, when hiring those, those people. Well, I had one really good developer when I started and um, – I, I got him to sort of help me with the process of finding other ones. But yeah, we went through a lot of developers that didn't work out. But any business I've ever had has gone through a lot of people that didn't work out. I, I wouldn't say there was necessarily more in that business than any other business. Because mm. even with the brewery, you know, we, we've had quite a few people come to work here that no longer work here. Uh, with the agency, it was exactly the same. It's just kind of the way it is. So we had a process which we publish on our site for how to hire developers. It's all up there on WP Curve. Well, it was. Um, I assume it's still there. Um, and it was just a process that we worked through. You know, we, we would give trials to, you know, 10 developers and to employ one, and then we would keep them on the job until 
we've worked out that they were trustworthy and they were good. And if they weren't, you know, we would do the whole process again and, and find someone else. But yeah, like any business, it's, it's not easy to find good people. And your initial product offering you mentioned was $70. I think the last time that it was uh, you know, live on the website it was $79. Um, how did you figure out your pricing model and how did you know it was working? Was it just a random number or was there a method to your madness? No, there was, a, there was initially a bit of a method where I, where I basically estimated you know, how many jobs people would request, how much the developers are going to cost us, what it would be like when there was like a thousand customers and then uh, from that worked out how much it was going to cost us to run the business per customer and then I doubled that and that's how much I charged. So, and, and in the end, so, so I think in the end we ended up at $79 a month, which was a little bit more than what we started at. I think we started at 59, but, um, it was, it was close enough. We experimented a little bit. We had a entry level plan and a higher level plan and then a double higher level plan, like a VIP one. And so the average plan per month would have been up sort of around $90. Um, and we experimented a little bit with pricing. We experimented by getting rid of the bottom price altogether and that just completely killed signups just because of the marketing and the audience we had. It was a lot of sort of solo entrepreneurs and stuff that just didn't want to spend $200 a month or they'd spend it and two months later they'd churn because they weren't using it and are spending 200 bucks a month. So um, yeah, the price ended up being more or less right and it didn't change a whole lot since we started. The only big change was adding in a couple of higher level plans and increasing it by sort of 10, $20 a month. And that, and that relatively uh, worked for you guys when you guys went higher up or you're saying it didn't? Yeah, uh, well, it didn't work when we ditched the entry level plan Gotcha. and only offered the higher level plan, but it definitely did work when we offered the higher level plan um, as an upsell to the entry level one. So people could still get the sort of no brainer $79 a month plan, but for $99 a month, you could get some automated support. And for $200 a month, if you were like, a, um, a really high, highly critical site, you could get VIP support, which was basically jobs done within four hours by the A-team of developers, that kind of stuff. So it was cost twice as much, but it's a better service. So those two things definitely did work. So after reading your books, you mentioned how important content marketing is to any business's uh, success. Um, well, I... it was important to my business's success. I wouldn't say it's important to any business's success. Mm. I, think, I think you... You, you do what works, you know, like, I mean, people might have a business where they go around and knock on doors and they sell, sell stuff to people or they go to conferences and present and they sell from stage. You, you, you got to do what works. But for me, I was never really any good at any of the other stuff. And the only thing I was, was competent at was doing content. So for me, for this business and for uh, the brewery, that's the kind of marketing we do. And it, it worked very well for us. But I, I wouldn't say it worked for everyone because it, it's like anything. You have to be good at it. You have to have some sort of point of difference. It has to be interesting and it's it's a challenge in itself. So with the, the brewery and also WP Curve and all the other businesses that you've, that you've done in between, um, how were you able to determine the product market fit? I, obviously, you're... Your your niche uh, in black ops uh, black ops is very uh, unique, and then the same with WP Curve was. How, what was your process like determining how to market to those individuals? Um. Well, I think product market fit and, and how to market to people are two different things, but um, the marketing came first in both cases. Like like I was with WP Curve, you know, we were putting this content out there 
regardless. Like I was doing it for years beforehand and I'm still doing it now. It's just a process of creating content around entrepreneurship that I like doing. And I was doing it during WP Curve. When we had the business, we tailored it a little bit more to be a bit more about WordPress and online marketing. Um, and, you know, tailored the lead magnets so that when people opted in, they were put on a sequence, all that kind of stuff. But essentially, I was writing about, I've been writing about entrepreneurship for, you know, 10 years. So um, it came first in that case. And with Black Ops, same thing. We just started writing about beer and, and also uh, the business of beer because there was lots of things that people wanted to know about starting a brewery that, you know, you can't find on the internet because people haven't really written about this stuff before, mm-hmm. especially not in Australia. So, yeah, the, the marketing kind of looked after itself in terms of the, the content and what to write. Product market fit, I think you can just tell, you know, I think it's a, it's a matter of being honest with yourself. Like other businesses I've launched, I've put it out there and I've just got a lukewarm response to it. And WP Curve, it took off straight away. Like you said in the intro, you know, I had I had 20 or 30 customers within a couple of weeks. And so that was it. That was the only, We never have a conversation about product market fit. It was this people are paying for this that's it that's all we need to know Mm. um with black ops product market fit i would say was a little bit more of an organic process because like we know people want beer and we know people like different styles of beer but it it actually did take us a while to work out um which one would be our main beer and also which which one would be the main one into cans which one would be the biggest seller and in fact the we've been around for about two years of actually brewing beer and our number one beer that we sell now, we only brewed for the first time two months ago, three months ago, the, the pale ale. So that, that process of working out, you know, what the market wanted from us actually took quite a long time. Um, and it was just a process of experimentation and also just sort of, I think eventually it was just sort of getting out of our own heads because we were, we were trying to brew sort of interesting creative beers, but, in the end, what people wanted was something that was just a no-brainer. In Australia, pale ale is, is sort of like the go-to style for craft beer. I think in America, like IPA is. But in Australia, it's pale ale, and we, we didn't have one. Um, so, really? yeah, that just became – it became like a no-brainer thing where we're like, we're, we're getting a bit too creative about this. We just need to brew a beer that we know people want. And once we did that, we even just called it pale ale, which was the least creative name we've ever come up with. Um, and it was the longest process it took us to find a name because we'd always been so so creative with the names. But this time it was just like a no-brainer thing and it just took off straight away. Very interesting. I, I'm curious. Uh, I follow the brewery and, and obviously you in, 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 in reading the books. What are the five must-haves for any content marketing strategy um, that we should be implementing if we are a content-driven business? Um, well, I, I wasn't prepared for, to list five things off, so I'll see how I go. But I, but I think the, the important things are with content, it has to be interesting. Um, and that's where I think people sort of go wrong because if your business is not particularly interesting, it's going to be hard to make your content interesting. Um, not impossible because it's been done and there's been plenty of examples of, of it being done. But that's just like a really core fundamental thing. It, it's not enough to just create blog posts about what you're doing at work and, you know, about your industry and teaching people how to do your job. It's, it's just not enough. And you, you hear a lot of people saying, you know, you be helpful, create helpful content. I mean, depending on your business, it might not be that interesting to people, you know, to, to create something that's helpful. 
people want to be entertained and and that they want something that's interesting and like i look at the i look at the podcast i listen to now and look at like the top podcasts in itunes and they're all entertaining like like they're not they're not someone sitting down and explaining how to do something it's not it's not like learning it's a lot of the time it's just keeping people engaged and telling interesting stories so i think fundamentally no matter how good your content is it has to be interesting in some way um stories are a good way to make things interesting so if you can tell a story or if your business has an interesting story or if your clients have interesting stories like that's a really good one if you're in that sort of agency model where you're doing stuff for other people your clients might be way more interesting than you so so don't sit there and write blog posts about how to design websites maybe maybe have like an entrepreneurship blog where you're showcasing some interesting stories from your clients um and merrill abeen just does quite a bit of this because she she's one of the companies that launched with the seven-day startup process and she's bookkeeping so it's just it's just never going to be that interesting i mean it's, it's going to be very hard to make bookkeeping an interesting subject but she showcases her customers and tells the stories of the people who are using the service and that's more interesting than learning about bookkeeping so stories are really good um what else i think um i think branding is always really important even with things like content so i think like the design the design of your site the design of your website the design of your brand the social media all of that is super important with content so don't don't neglect that um i'd say the other thing is i think finding what works for you can be a challenge sometimes so like with my stuff, I learned that any time I did anything that had any sort of transparency with it, that worked really well. And the other thing I noticed was anything I did anything that was sort of a little bit controversial or um, contrarian, that worked really well as well. So I've written hundreds and hundreds of posts, but the posts I've written that that are basically telling everyone that everyone else is wrong, uh, you know, in a, but justifying it, not just saying it just to piss people off those ones have always gone really well and that they've often created um inspiration for the book so like i wrote a a blog post called is startup validation bullshit and that was that was like the first post i wrote that really got traction and it was about this idea of like you asked before like how do you know when you got product market fit instead of following this weird lean startup process and trying to get product market fit and pivoting and spending all this money and time and analyzing everything to death just launch and said and see if people buy it. That that was the fundamental idea. And that blog post was was a bit contrarian because everyone was going on about startup validation. And I was saying that if you can sell something, you don't need to validate it and you can just skip the whole process. And if you can launch quickly, you can you can either sell something or you can fail. Either way you can move on. Um, so that contrarian thing for me has worked really well. Um, transparency has always worked really well for me. It started with income reports with black ops where one of our slogans is the least covert operation in brewing because we've got that, that military name, but, but we're very transparent in what we do. We, we release our recipes and, you know, our financials and like all, all sorts of stuff to do with running a brewery. We have a podcast where we talk about the challenges, um, talk about how we're choosing the beers, all of that stuff. And people really like that. People really like transparency. Um, so yeah, th there's some of the things that have worked for me. I think in, in content machine, I basically make the point that the, the content has to be different. So whether it's being transparent or whether it's telling stories or whether it's just hustling really hard to put out way more content than anyone else, or whether it's doing really long and detailed, really helpful blog posts, which is like the Neil Patel model, um, 
whatever it is, it has to be different. So you can look at, you know, what a bunch of successful people have done to get some inspiration on how you might want to be different with your content. But um, in the end, it's, it's up to you to make something that's different. If it's not going to be different, it's going to be very, very hard for you to stand out and get attention. So uh, it's actually a great segue. You mentioned that you have to do anything it takes in order to get your customers. What was the craziest thing that you've uh, ever done in order to obtain a customer, whether it's on the, the digital side or even the brewing side? Uh, to be honest, I, I um, one of the things I didn't like about entrepreneurship was just this idea that you have to go out and like hustle and close people and be that salesperson. Um, that actually really turned me off entrepreneurship. And when I was first an entrepreneur, um, you know, I used to do that and I, I really didn't like it. Like the, like the first time I went for a meeting about building a website, the person, it was a, the manager and then the developer and I'd never built a website before and I wasn't a developer, but I was starting to learn to code from books and stuff. So they said, oh yeah, can you build this content management system? Cause this, this is before WordPress. Um, so he wanted to build a content management system for this website and the developer said, yeah, we use ASP. So you have to build it in ASP. And I'm like, yeah, sweet. No worries. I'll do that. <laughs> and then I literally went out to the shop and bought one of those Sam's teach yourself ASP books and taught myself how to code in ASP and, and built the website for them. Um, and yeah, and that was the kind of shit I used to have to do to get work. But the whole idea of content marketing is the opposite of that. It is, to build a community, build a brand, and get people coming to you, as opposed to you having to go out and be a crazy sales guy. And that's what that's what attracted me to content marketing. It was the idea that you could be an entrepreneur without being a crazy hustling sales guy. Is is sort of made me feel like okay, maybe I could be an entrepreneur because if if you had to be the hustling sales guy, then it wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a uh, definitely great advice. Uh, appreciate that one. Uh, I can relate to that very much. So. There's a, 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 I think it was a blog post that I read, and you mentioned that you have to compare yourself to the best in the industry uh, in order to have higher standards for yourself. So, you know, given the success of WP Curve and also the the launch of Black Ops, who are you comparing yourself to nowadays? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I think comparing yourself to people is important to kind of raise your standards, but it's also a double-edged sword because if you compare yourself to too many people that are too high, you'll end up just getting depressed and not being happy with what you're doing yourself. But you know, I, I, I get, I, you know, I look at someone, someone like Elon Musk and think, fuck, like I'm the shittest entrepreneur on earth. Um, cause I just see what he's doing like far out. <laughs> but then, um, but I, I think if you can keep it on a certain level, you can use that for inspiration as well. Um, but yeah, I think from, I think people like Steve Jobs have, and Elon Musk have inspired me. Steve Jobs, particularly around design. I think before I read his book and sort of started to get into his stuff, I, I wasn't really, like I was a web designer, but I don't think I really understood how impactful design can be. Um, and, and so that one, I remember reading the book and just changing everything from that day on. I completely, I hired a really expensive designer to redesign my site. I um, changed like how I approached design. I From that day on, I just, I really valued it. So looking up to people like that, I think can be really useful. Um, from a content point of view, in the beer world, there's a company called BrewDog, which actually have a TV show. Hmm. Those guys, and and they're also 
are famous for sort of bringing in equity crowdfunding into brewing and the first sort of well not the first but they're after getting valued at over a billion dollars they're basically a unicorn startup in the brewery world which is pretty inspirational so those guys i definitely look up to in the beer world um and then the other stuff i mean that's pretty much all i'm doing now i'm not really doing that much of the content but with um podcasting you know, I think every different medium, I look up to different people. My favorite podcast is called The Fighter and the Kid, and those guys are just, they're just funny and entertaining. So I think with podcasting, and the other one is Startup by Gimlet. That's another one where they're doing something different. Um, so I think with every medium, I kind of look to, not just like look at the, the normal interview shows, I look to the, the weird ones that are really doing really well and, and sort of think, how are they doing that? Um, with content, I think early on it was it was someone like Neil Patel, you know I mentioned so doing doing um, transparency and um, contrarian and helpful. So that were the three things to me. So transparency started with someone like Pat Flynn and his income reports, and that kind of and and Buffer was another company that were more in the startup world that was starting to do that kind of stuff. Uh, we were kind of in that trend together. Um, there was there, there was a bunch of there was Groove the blog there was Help Scout there was a bunch of blogs that were that were doing that sort of angle um, on the contrarian stuff guys like Mark Manson and James Altucher um, just just writing content that's different to what other people are expecting and using that to get attention um, and even to some extent some of the news the news like the real BuzzFeed style sites looking at um, looking at like headlines and how how they can like get onto a topic and give people something that they're not expecting and you can just see how powerful that is so that i mean i don't like really like doing that solid content but you can still use that as inspiration to get your head around like what's actually going to be interesting to people um and yeah i think that's probably i mean that that's enough probably but yeah, yeah I, I think i look to rather than one person you, you know i'll have People who inspire me around entrepreneurship, people who inspire me around design, um, people who inspire me around podcasting and, and around writing, and then just look at look at individuals in those spaces and um, try to try to kind of learn what you can from those. So you mentioned the Steve Jobs uh, book that you read, and you really start to get the idea of who he was as a person. But people are also reading your books as their inspiration. So are there any books that you would recommend reading? Uh, for other founders pursuing a similar business model or business dream as 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 you are to be honest i don't read many books at all i i um again just going back to the the interesting thing i don't find them that interesting i, I try to read them and i find them pretty boring so i like books that are, are story driven so i think mm. like for for inspirational stuff that steve jobs and elon musk biographies you, you can't go past those two I think they're <clears throat> they're the most inspirational stories in our current generation of entrepreneurs. Um, for my types of business models, I, to be honest, I, I don't even think I've read a book <laughs> that's got anything to do with uh, online services or really anything to do with brewing, um, which is, yeah, probably not a good answer, but I, I'm just not really a book person. Hey, it's a real answer. That's all that matters. Um, <laughs> I, I want to uh, shift a little bit. And, and one thing that I found really interesting when going on, I think it was either your personal Instagram or maybe the uh, the, the brewery's uh, Instagram, there was the pitch deck. 
and you kind of use yeah. that as your call to action rather than people buying into the uh, the beer or finding out where to buy. What was your philosophy on that, and, and has that helped you uh, achieve any type of funding just by putting it on your Instagram handle? Oh, yeah. 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 So we... Well, I think we, we went out looking for like $300,000 in funding and within six days, we'd had offers of up to 1.3, 1.25 million wow. from that's, people. That's great. Um, and that was just from one email, putting it on Instagram and building a whole process around it. Again, looking at what other breweries had done, looking at other crowdfunding prospectus documents and, and modeling off those, putting together proper documentation and content. And it was exactly the same philosophy. It wasn't when we first built the brewery, we went out and we tried to pitch people and we tried to sell people and it just wasn't a fun process. So this time I wanted to do more of a content marketing uh, approach to it, which is what we'll do instead is we'll put all the content out there already and build this. It was a 30 page document that I wrote. It took me a week and I made, I paid a designer 300 bucks to make it look really sexy. Um, and we told people if they want a copy of it, give us your email address and, and, so we circulated it and within a couple of days we had lots and lots of people who who wanted to give us money as opposed to us having to go out and pitch them. And I didn't do a single pitch. I, I did a bunch of meetings at the brewery here. I did a bunch of phone calls, but it was literally just people coming. I was explaining the brewery, explaining everything that was in the document, answering any questions they had. And every single one of them by the end, um, after coming in and seeing it, filled in the form to express interest in investing a certain amount of money. Uh, from fifty thousand to three hundred thousand. So, um, again, it's it's. I guess it's like um, the, the the content marketing approach, which is inbound and not outbound. It's it's tell a story, um, create something interesting for people, and then the people will come to you, as opposed to going out and trying to flog what you're doing to other people. Mm. Now, I'm um, I'm a big beer person myself. Uh, I'm not that well versed in the Australian beer scene. So I do apologize. Um, but any, anything that you're, you're really into in the, uh, the, the American scene, uh, when it comes to beer and then the, the follow up to that is what can you tell us a little bit more about the Australian scene of beer? Well, I mean, everything in the American scene I'm into, <laughs> um, I, I, I've only spent a week in America and it was in California and it wasn't really a beer related trip. So I, I got to get to a fair few breweries and bars and restaurants, but it wasn't it wasn't over the top. I didn't get to any of the big ones. Didn't get to San Diego or Portland or anything like that. Um, but it was it was amazing. The scene over there is amazing. Even even just local restaurants and bottle shops and bars, and it's just, it's a whole new level compared to here. Do you have like a Mount um, Rushmore of beer? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I want, I'm very keen to go back and especially take the boys here, so so we can go back as as a as a brewery team and and really do some research and like just take some inspiration from what's happening over there. Australia is is um, coming along. I mean, to give you an idea, a year ago when we opened on the Gold Coast, there was only one other brewery on the Gold Coast, and there's a population of about 600,000 people. So it's a it's a it's a city, and there was one brewery. Hmm. You know, if this if this and it's it's on the coast in a perfect climate for beer. It's it's actually this area. A lot of the award-winning breweries now come from very close to this area. So it's a, it's not it's not the location. It's just Australia is uh, quite a bit behind where the U.S. is. I mean, if the U.S. if this was like a city in the U.S. that was exactly the same as it is here, there would probably be 20 breweries. Um, so we're we're quite a long way behind. But having said that, we. 
it, it hasn't taken us that long to catch on, I think, because by the time craft breweries started to really kick off in Australia, the American scene was very, very established. And so all the, the good craft beers in America were very well known to the Australian brewers. And it wasn't us starting where America was 20 years ago. It was us starting three or four years ago at the peak of you know, where, where America got to in terms of the quality of the beers and the, and the range and, and everything else. So um, I think the beers that are that are getting brewed by craft breweries in Australia now are very good, and um, especially because because you, you really want to drink beer locally. So especially like if I'm in Australia now drinking craft beer, I'd be drinking Australian beers over the American ones almost every time. Mm. Um, if I was in America, obviously I'd be drinking the American ones. But up to a few years ago, I probably wouldn't have said that because the beers in Australia, you know, kind of had or needed to catch up. But the scene in Australia now is very good. I think we've got 500 breweries in the country mm. and about 50 new breweries every year. So it's growing very, very quickly. And the market share is about 5% of beer is 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 sort of craft. Um, in America, I think it's about 12%. So there's a fair bit fair bit to catch up again. But it's yeah happening very quickly. Very cool. You're on your website, your personal website, you have goals in 2017. Uh, two of them are one of them, I think was a, your, your app company that you wanted to start up and another one was just like another business. So I, I want to ask, you know, that now that we're about eight, eight months into the, the year, how are your goals going and are there new goals be, uh, that you've established since that, that article? Yeah, this, this process, like every year, I think, okay, I'm going to write this, this uh, list of goals. And then at the end of the year, I'll hopefully achieve them. And, and every time I do it, I get halfway through and everything has changed so much that it's just almost a wasted exercise. Um, but when I wrote that, it was just after I sold WP Curve and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Black Ops was sort of a bit of a side project at the time. Um, I had an idea for an app startup. I had an idea for this animated video startup. Um, I, I, <coughs> sorry, I, I thought maybe I'd do some sort of physical product. I really, I really didn't know what I was going to do. Um, but since then, Black Ops has gone off and it's really just been about Black Ops. I really haven't done a whole lot else. I've shut down more or less everything else. And um, we've been focusing on the new product, the cans, the expansion, and then also working towards planning some equity crowdfunding process for next year when it becomes legal in Australia. So, um, yeah, whatever's written in that post is probably not going to be relevant. Um, but it's, I, th I think it's still kind of a fun thing to do, especially like – it's a good reminder that you can plan stuff, but um, in the end, like you rock up to work on the day and you do what needs to be done and, and you, you focus on what's got traction and what it makes sense for you to be focusing on. And at the moment, like this business has grown to, you know, around, I think we're doing about 80 grand a month now after one year, you know? So we're, we're basically the size that WP Curve was after two years. And we're, in terms of revenue anyway, we're growing much faster and expanding into next door already. And it's turning into a business that's going to be worth a lot of money if we don't stuff it up. So it makes no sense for me to be doing anything else other than doubling down on what we're doing here. I'm, I'm, I'm curious because of your success in, in the business and, and, and uh, your exit with WP Curve, has that been, has it made it easier for you to obtain funding for your second, your second business? Um, I think so. Of course. I mean, any, any element of proof makes it easier to do anything. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, if, if I was a nobody and the, you know, there wasn't someone in black ops who'd 
had a business before and and built it into a million dollar company and then sold it, then the package would not look as good to in potential investors, no doubt. Um, but really, I think it, in terms of it obtaining funding, it's got a lot to do with the business itself. Like mm. um, I was talking to a guy at an event uh, two days ago, which was for an equity crowdfunding um, launch. And his business is doing five times the revenue that we are. And he's just been on Shark Tank. And he was looking for a valuation that was not much more than the valuation that we just got. And But his just business is just not as sexy as beer. And it's not not in a space that's you know really growing quickly and could potentially just keep growing. Like we're such a small amount of the market that there's years and years and years ahead of growth, potentially. And if if you're talking about equity crowdfunding, you're talking about getting people in your audience to buy into your company. So if you're selling something that they're consuming regularly and they have a passion for, it makes it infinitely infinitely more valuable than something that they buy once and it's transactional. There's, there's no love there. It's just they just buy it to use it. Um, so I think getting funding has a lot to do with the type of business and how attractive it is as an industry and as a brand and and probably not as much to do with the individuals, but it's a part of it. You mentioned storytelling. You mentioned uh, content and, and figuring out who you are. Um, but the one thing you also mentioned briefly was the sense of community. Are there any key takeaways that we can use within our own marketing to create a kick-ass community that you guys have? Because your following on the the brewery is just like you have loyal followers, and I'm sure you have loyal followers yourself as well. So, what are some key takeaways in order for us to create a community? Uh, I think probably generosity is the main one. I mean, for, for my personal stuff, I've, I've put out so much content over the years, and um, you know, had a Facebook group with thousands of people in it. I've done so many free calls and uh, free free talks. I've never been paid to give a talk. Um, it's I think all of that en- ends up paying off. You know, like like you, if you're generous enough, then then that's that's a good start. Um, with the brewery, there's a very very good community there already, and again that helps because the, you know, depending on the the niche that you're in, um, it just might be that it's a really community driven group of people and that's that's the case with beer and that's kind of what attracted us to us there's home brewers and bar owners and investors and just casual drinkers and brewery owners and brewers and this this community of people and journalists you know bloggers beer bloggers this community existed before we were there and it was just a matter of us being part of it and so to do that you know we've done heaps of stuff we've been to hundreds of events and um tried to be generous we've got our own facebook group generous with our time so many podcast interviews, our own podcasts, all the content. I think content marketing generally is a good way to build that generosity because you're um, you're effectively just giving away stuff for free. Yeah. And if, if you do that, it's building goodwill and it's being a better member of the community. Um, so I think all that stuff helps a lot. Well said. My last question to Dan, uh, the Blind Entrepreneur, this podcast was created for individuals who may be temporarily blind in business. They may not be able to see the obvious. So what are three if maybe more maybe less what are some pieces of advice that you would give to a fellow entrepreneur yeah well i think the um i think this idea of like being blind is interesting because i think what people do and what i've done at various stages which i think is a big mistake which is you just focus on in what's what's close to you so you'll you'll go to the events with all the like-minded people and you'll join the forums with all the same people and you'll listen to all the same podcasts 
and you get to the point where there's no new ideas. It's just you're just recycling all the stuff that's always been recycled. Um, you'll look up to one person as if they're the guru and the expert in everything. And I think that's the wrong approach. So what I would probably say, which normally my advice with, with this stuff, which is just try and get a lot broader than where you currently are. Like, like you can get inspiration. You know, if, if you want to be better at design, you don't have to, you don't have to do a Photoshop course. You can, you can learn about an entrepreneur that built the most valuable company on earth based on the back of design. Um, if you want to, learn about how to create good content you know you, you could be watching tv shows you could be reading buzzfeed articles you could be um listening to podcasts that have absolutely nothing to do with entrepreneurship and trying to figure out like how like serial how, how can you listen to a podcast like serial and embed some of that into what you do because if you're just going to listen to interview podcasts then all you're going to do is create another interview podcast which is a not going to be interesting and b um not going to be entertaining and it's not going to be different. So I think, look, if, if, you, if you're doing something that's working, great. But if you're trying to break through to something new, you're going to have to do something that's different. So I think get your inspiration from a whole wide range of sources. Assume that whoever's giving you advice, there's a very good chance that they could be wrong and they don't understand your business that well. Um, so question everything. Um, I think focus on design, which in our world of like self-funded entrepreneurs, I think design is just, it's just, it's almost treated like people just see zero value in it. Like, like they'll get logos designed on 99 designs and then put it on Facebook, ask people what the best out of the three bad options are. And that's, that's how they'll choose the branding for their company. I mean, can you imagine Steve Jobs or someone who's built, if he's actually built a good business off the back of design doing that? I mean, it's just, there's no way in the world any entrepreneur who cared at all about design would ever do that. Mm -hmm. So respect the process and um, start learning more about design and getting inspiration from different sources. Um, and that might be design's one of those things where it's 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 very hard to quantify how to build an expertise around that. But you know, it might be looking at fashion, might be looking at architecture, it might be studying some of the tools, um, you know, designing some stuff yourself. It might be some kind of hobby might be nature. I mean, it, it just, it might be other entrepreneurs who, who aren't designers, but have built a company based on design might be, you know, a, a lot of the things that inspired me with design was listening to this week in startups and looking at Crunchbase and those sites where they'll showcase the really high growth startups and just looking at how much they value design. Um, how much, you know, these companies will give equity to designers when they start because they just know it's just absolutely core to what they do. Like people, anyone building an app, it's going to be a big company. Design is such a valued skill that it's like it's a core thing in the business. Mm. Um, and there's no reason why any business can't be like that. And it's it's super, super important. Um, so th the other one, obviously, launch quickly. That's a big one. If you the, the longer you spend without launching, the more assumptions you're going to make. And I think if you can launch quickly and get some traction, then that's the absolute best case. But even if you can launch quickly and not get any traction, then that might be the best case too because you can rule it out. You can go on to something else. And, you know, I've, I've had probably 50, I don't even know how many companies I've started or, or ideas and projects, probably 20 to 100, somewhere in there. I have no idea. But there's really only been three that have ever worked. Hmm. So, I mean, if, you're, if, if you look up to me as someone who's successful, then, you know, and let's say it's 100, we're talking about 97% failure. So if you're going to spend three years working on something and launching it, you don't have enough years in your life 
to have enough failures to get a success. So you need to be able to launch quickly. Um, and the third, I'm not sure how many I've said, but I think the the other big thing is focusing on your strengths. We talked about that a little bit. Um, but, you know, if you're just constantly battling to do something in business that just really isn't you, mm-hmm. and for me it was sales, face-to-face sales and meetings and that kind of stuff, um, then eventually it'll catch up with you and it just won't work out. So double down on your strengths. And, I mean, you've heard Gary Vee say, say this all the time. Have some sort of self-awareness. It's really critical and just focus on what you're good at and that's that's going to hold you in good stead as an entrepreneur. Well, Dan, thank you so much for everything that you said today and educating our audience. Um, you know, Without further ado, you successfully completed the podcast. Go right ahead, look into the camera, tell everybody what you have going on, how can they be a part of your, your mission, your dreams, and, uh, and hopefully one day buy beer in America. But for now, learn more about the, uh, about the brewery. Yeah, I mean, blackops.com.au is our site. Uh, follow at Black Ops Beer on Instagram if you're into the beer. Um, I'm at the Dan Norris, T-H-E Dan Norris on Instagram. That, that, it seems to be the platform that uh, is getting traction now. It seems to be what I'm on more often than anything else. Um, so, yeah, check us out on there. And, yeah, I'm always – I'm pretty active on social media. If you've got any questions, just hit me up and I'll always answer them. Very cool. So to everybody else who's still watching and listening, thank you guys for always liking, commenting, and subscribing. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube and iTunes. Uh, Check out my vlog that's on the same channel or even hit up any social media platform uh, with my last name and Jay. Uh, Head over to The Blind Entrepreneur to watch more videos. Dan, thank you again so much for your time. Until next time, everybody, have a good rest of your day and an even better tomorrow. Thank you so much for watching this video. Don't forget to follow me on any and all social media platforms using the long last name above, followed by the letter J. If you want to get lost into the dark abyss of YouTube, click either left or right for another video. And finally, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. No, seriously, don't forget.